This Week in Sparkling Water. My name is Joachim Eriksson and I'm the host of This Week in Sparkling Water. It's interesting, a lot of times when I'm going to record a podcast episode, I just, I'm not in the right mood and I can't control the mood, but my mind like cycles through different moods quite quickly so I kind of just have to sit here and I know enough to know what mood I'm in and if the mood is going to work or not so at least I think I do (laughs) and then so I just have to sit here in silence and just wait for like the right mood to for like the sort of random generator chemistry set in my brain to just mix two of the same mix two of some chemical until they get until it gets to the right color the right mood and then i'm like oh yeah okay i'm in the right mood now to podcast you know just sat here for like 40 minutes just now and then i was like yep this is the mood and now i'm like hi (laughs) and it's so weird to go from just sitting in silence to being like yep this is it. Hi, everyone. How's it going? <laughs> but that's how it is because couldn't do, couldn't have done it 20 minutes ago. That's for sure. Or five or 45. I think maybe first I want to talk about, I had a, a kind of a difficult day at work and it's, it was interesting. I had a difficult day. We've been doing all these weddings and weddings are very interesting. It's actually, a, it's a lot of fun. It's like a big emotional rush for people. And it's so fun to be part of that with them. And all of, almost all of them are, I'm actually impressed with their sense of, overall, I'm impressed with their sense of just humility because it it's like their big day but they still can look at you and be like for you this is just another day like they can look at me and be like for you and 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 they can just be on the be on a normal human level and have a normal conversation even though it's like their wedding day and they should be in a state of shock or whatever like a lot of people are just really nice and you can just talk to them and things can be quite normal and then you can be like quite positive to them and then they can match that positivity and but and it doesn't have to be super dramatic and it can be very nice and with a lot of stuff people are just really pleasant and most of them are not bridezillas but we had one wedding recently that was I don't feel the need to point out exactly which one it was you know that feels a little bit pointed but we had one that was difficult And the people, the people were drinking too much and they had a very, they had a bad attitude. And I've noticed this, there's this interesting pattern with people who complain. Because we exist in this uh, high information society, our high information society means that we are hyper aware of what we look like from the outside. And in terms of complaining, it's like we have these memes, like Karen memes, and everyone has seen the Karen memes. So the Karens, it's like one of these, it's like the warfare where like, you know, people come up with computer viruses and then 
there's like an antivirus software company and they come up with a better antivirus software. So then the people inventing computer viruses have to come up with a better computer virus. And then we're constantly one-upping each other. Like all warfare is in some way like a technological pursuit of one-upping each other. Maybe actual hot war um, sort of, um, what's it called? just plateaued a little bit when we invented nukes because it got a little bit meaningless to go to one-up nukes. It was more like you get up on the plateau and you're on the same level. But everything else is it's like you have to keep one-upping each other. And with the complaining, it's a little bit like that where like I think that there was a time in the recent past, I don't think it was a long time ago, where people would just complain and they would all complain the same way and they wouldn't know that they complain just the way everyone else complains. And then we invented these memes on the internet making fun of how people complain and Karens and, you know, Karens calling the cops on black people, you know, Karen in the park calling the cops on a black guy because he's got a barbecue out. Why are you in the park, Mr. Black Guy? Are you trying to rob someone? And he's just like, Hey, lady, I got a couple of T-bones out here. I got my kids. Like, why are you calling the cops on me? And then, like, racist people now see themselves from the outside through the lens of memes and dash cam footage. No, never mind. You know what I'm saying, though. Cell phone footage. There's something about cell phone footage that just creates this. It's just helpful to see yourself from the outside, you know? If you're at the gym and you're trying to do some squats, it's very helpful to film yourself and see yourself do 20 squats and squats and watch the video and be like, my back looks fucked up. And then you can improve your form. You can improve, like, more information means you can improve your form. So that's what the people complaining are doing. They get to see themselves through cell phone footage and they get to be better. And one of the things of how the complainy people in customer service, the complainy people who are at war with people in customer service, one of the ways how they one up now is that they <laughs> they just do this thing. They do this thing where you start talking to them and it takes a long time before you know if they are really, really happy or really, really unhappy. The conversation starts out and they bring you over and it's like, <laughs> hold on, hold on. It's like, so many funny things are popping into my head. Now, okay, so there was one that I already talked about quite recently where Corey was like, ah, oh, this lady, like, she wants to talk to a manager. She thinks I'm the worst server ever. You got to go talk to her. She's over there. And I go over and I'm like stealing myself. And this lady's like, Corey, he's so great. And I'm like, yep, and then, and but, and then I'm waiting for a but. But there was no but, so he put me in the wrong mindset. And it it was such a good prank. It was such a good prank because I am a, I'm an HSP, you know? I'm a highly sensitive person. You know, I'm an empath. So if you're going to complain to me, I'm going to empath like a motherfucker. And I'm going to like hold your hand and stuff. And I'm, like, going to tie your shoes and then untie them and take your shoes off and, like, take your socks off and get all the lint out from between your socks and then put your put your socks on between your toes, the lint from between your toes, and put your socks back on and put your shoes back on and, and be like, Does that, doesn't that feel kind of fresh? And I'm, I'll take your bra off, you know? If you complain, I'll, I'll take your bra off. But 
what I'm saying is that you talk to someone and there's especially there's this one regular. Um, I was telling Erica about this. Erica, first of all, they like me and they requested me. So I love that. And then it's like the guy is, I think he's like maybe Israeli or something. And the lady is like an American lady. And they're maybe in their upper 40s. And he loves the Branzino at Holbrook. And he always comes in. And he always, he's a real foodie in the sense that even if he likes it or doesn't like it, he wants to, He if he doesn't like it, he's not complaining in the sense that he wants his money back because he's here to try something new. That's not totally true because he tried the rabbit mole and he wanted his money back. But anyway, he always wants to talk about the food like at length after he's had our, a new dish that we have on the menu. And you, he's always like not finishing the sentence, talking and talking and talking without really finishing the sentence. So he never really gets to the adjective at the end of the sentence that says if he's really, really excited about it up or down, like if he's really happy or unhappy. And usually he's happy, but he has a way of talking about it where you, where a lot of times you think he's pissed off, but that's just how he talks. And I remember he loves the Branzino and he would always talk about how much he loves the Branzino. And I remember the first time he told me about the Branzino, he was, he was looking at the plate and he was like, bro, this is like, uh, and he was like pushing the plate away and he's like, bro, this is like, I mean, this, I can't even like, and I'm like, oh. Fuck, I'm sorry. Like, what can we do? Like, can I, can I, can I take this? Can I get you a menu and we can look at that? He's like, ah, this is like, I can't even, like, this is ridiculous. Like, I am like without words here. And then I'm like, I realized that he's like, this is so good. And I'm like, oh, what? Wait, all of that was about how you think it's good? So confusing. There's actually a part of, uh, there's a scene in 30 Rock where Alec Baldwin, who plays Jack Donaghy, Jack Donaghy is on like MSNBC. And it's a very, very funny, super smart take on what the problem is with the 24-hour news network. Because the Jack Donaghy character is has no preparation, just walks into a studio, they put him in front of a camera, and he is confronted with an idea, some thing that he has to now have an opinion on because it's like... You have to have a really quick opinion in the format of 24-hour news networks. You can't say anything long form. There's no space for gray area. You have to just be super, super into it. And I cannot deliver it or explain it or do it justice. But they show him something and they ask him what he thinks about it, if it's good or bad. He's like, do you guys think this is good? And then Alec Baldwin has to think about it. But he starts his sentence with all these like superlatives. And he's like, this is absolutely. And then he's thinking about it because he doesn't know if he's going to say it's absolutely super good or super bad. And that's what it's like. So there's this thing with the people who complain that they weaponize this with how they they do so much prequel like they do so many there's so many preambles before they get to the complaining that like yeah i was at the bar and i was there with casey and casey the bartender and i love casey the bartender he's a weird bird and so am i and we get along so good and it's so fun and i'm just hanging out and i'm just asking him what he needs because he's real busy so i'm gonna get him glassware and his dishwasher is broken so i'm bringing all of his dirty dishes back to the dish pit in the back and i'm getting a new glassware and i'm getting him a bucket of ice and i'm hitting him up and i'm being like what can i help you with what can i help you with what are we doing and then there's like a gal sitting at the bar 
and she's like talking to him and talking to me and they see they both look so happy and she's like asking me if I'm one of the managers and I'm like yeah yeah I'm the, I'm the manager and she looks so happy and we're talking and we talked for a while before I realized that this lady is livid that all of this was just a preamble this was just her being like I don't want to be predictable in how I complain I think that's the emotion behind it driving this. I think it's a we we are disgusted with ourselves when we feel predictable and people have know that it's not that cool to complain. And so she is so happy for so long and she's like, "Oh, Casey, yeah, I was just talking to Casey here and oh, you're the manager. Oh, yeah, yeah, great." And then she like starts saying something and I'm like feeling, I'm starting to pick up that there's something going on. And I'm like talking to her over the bar and I'm picking up that she's trying to, she's trying to drop some breadcrumbs for me here. Like there's something she wants me to get, to understand here. So I'm like, hold on a second. Let me come around the bar here and stand right next to you so I can really hear what you're saying. Because it seems like this is important to you and you don't want to say it straight. So I need to pick up on some fucking nuance here. So let me let me like get really close so we can so we can really zoom in on the nuance here, lady. So I I plop down in on a bar stool next to her. And there's so much me mawing and she's like, "Yeah, you know, I used to be a bartender for like 10 years, like I'm retired now and and it's like, yeah, there's so much of this and you know, I understand how hard it is and and I understand how hard customer service is, how hard it is to be nice. And it's hard, hard to be nice when people are, guests are such bitches. And she said things like that. And then she's like, yeah, and COVID didn't make it easier. Like long speechification here about how you don't just want to go straight into complaining. You first, you have to be like, yeah, I understand that COVID doesn't make anything easier. It's like, lady, just tell me what you're going to tell me. Don't talk to me about COVID. What are you going to say? Like, is there a problem here? What's the problem? But I don't say that because I'm all nice, and I'm 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 Johnny says it nice, you know. I'm out here like Johnny says it nice, and I'm sitting around and I'm like, yeah, yeah, COVID made everything so hard, and I'm like, oh yeah, you know the labor market is so tight, and like hiring is so hard, and like you know it's because there's a housing crisis, right? And it's like the housing crisis means that people blah blah blah, and it's the labor market and like the homelessness crisis, and you know inflation and like food costs is up, so we can only hire idiots. Now, are you mad at this idiot right here? Can I ask you what he did wrong? And it's like, lady, just get to the point. She's talking to me about COVID and she's talking to me about COVID. And then we get to it. And she's like, he scoffed at me. It's like, lady, we've been talking for 15 minutes and you finally say it. And it's like, she tipped him $0 and he looked at it and scoffed. And she's like, why did he scoff? Because Oh, and then there was a whole thing, and it's like she wanted him to make a margarita. He had a hundred drinks to make, and she wanted him to make a margarita, but before, in the process of making it, she wanted him to take the agave, <laughs> the agave syrup, and to make sure that it really mixes in with the margarita. She wanted him to mix it with a little bit of hot water and dissolve the agave in hot water before pouring it into the margarita. And he apparently just told her, lady, I'm very sorry. I'm very busy. I don't actually have hot water at the bar. 
So that's not going to be possible. I can, however, make the beverage that you're asking for here, which is a margarita with a tall, extra agave, half salt rim. You know, we can do that on the rocks, half salt rim, tall, you know, extra agave. We'll make it good. I don't have hot water. That part's not going to happen, but I'll make it really good. I got 20 people right here. And she's like, but you have water in the back. And he's like, lady, my dishwasher's broken. There's 20 of you. I, I'm alone. I, and he's like, blah, blah. And she kept asking and he scoffed. And because he scoffed when she asked for the agave, she tipped him zero dollars. And when he saw the zero, he scoffed again. And in his defense, her and all of her friends tipped zero dollars. So there you go. He's kind of a good guy. He's kind of a soldier. He's kind of my guy. I love him. He's a great bartender. And she says things like, I know you have to protect him. He's your employee, so you have to have his back 100% of the time. And when she said that, I was actually like, nah, that's not exactly right. I don't totally agree with that. Like, that's not actually my philosophy. I don't need to back my people up 100% of the time. Like, I can listen to two sides of something and say... Like, frequently people, like, I remember this one time. I remember this one time there was a fella at the bar just pling-plonging away at the piano, screaming at the top of his lungs, making making all of his drunk buddies sing, scream at the top of their lungs. And we get all these noise complaints from the rooms. And I'm serving, I, I think I was serving tables in the restaurant, and I hated it. Because there's just people screaming at the bar and people trying to have a nice dinner. And I could hear multiple times Joey, the bartender, telling this fella, like, hey, you got you to gotta simmer down a little bit here. You're just screaming. And then he just blew a fucking gasket. And he came at me and he came at Doug. And everyone got so mad because he was screaming at Doug. And you can't scream at Doug, bro. You cannot scream at Doug. Doug is an angel. And we don't scream at Doug. If you scream at Doug, all of us are going to feel so fucking protective of Doug. That's how this works. And this guy kept being telling me like, hey, look, I spent so much money here. And I kept backing up the bartender and being like, it, he kept being like, I spent so much money here and your bartender was so rude to me. And I kept backing up the bartender and being like, hey, I heard what Joey the bartender said to you. He was assertive and he was very professional. And what he said was completely appropriate. And... And, like, if if it had been me, if he hadn't tag-teamed it, and if he hadn't picked up Doug and started doing Doug instead, I would have fucking kicked him out and called the police on him. Because this, this guy was a straight piece of shit. And I remember feeling that situation, like, how... I remember feeling like, I wish I had perfect information. I wish I had seen every single part of the interaction between Joey the bartender and this guest because I didn't. And maybe there was some part where Joey the bartender was too rude or something because it's hard to be assertive and professional and not come off as rude. It's very difficult when people are fucking crazy. But I remember just like waffling a little bit and then just at one point just doing a judgment call and being like, nah, I'm gonna, I gotta back up my bartender 100% here. But I, I remember thinking about it afterwards and being, and realizing that I don't think my philosophy is I just always back up my employee 100%. Like that's not the point. Admitting fault and flaws and like humanity and how it's a working process for everyone in employees is that's, that's valid. Like, yeah, I don't know. But then there was this other thing on the same fucking day. Like this day had 
a hundred conflicts. This was such a difficult day. One completely other thing was that right when people were getting married, they were like, there was this great sense of silence in the, in the private dining hall because there was like 70 people listening to someone say, I do. And then two doors down, there's like five ladies just screaming at the top of their lungs, five Sauve Blanc drinkers, you know? And so I'm, I'm walking around and I see these ladies at the host stand and they need a table and I say hi. And I'm like trying to get them to a table. And then they, this lady is livid with me and she's like, someone just shushed me. And I kept being like, I kept, I, I actually, I felt like she, for some reason when she said it, I felt like she was in the right because she said it to me in a way where I, I really felt like, man, it sounds like someone really shushed you in a rude way. Because it's really hard when we're a hotel with multiple concepts to exist outside of your concept. Like I remember being a server on the floor serving tables when there's a wedding like 50 feet away blasting incredibly loud 90s music. And I'm on the floor trying to sell people like an expensive bottle of wine and and a perfectly made $50 steak. And I remember just being so angry that there's a wedding because the wedding's so disruptive to my to the experience people are having in the dining room. And I, I found it completely impossible to think outside of my concept. And then when you have these event staff that are working on the wedding, it's very hard for them to, to be respectful. Like it's, hard, it's challenging for them to be respectful towards dining room guests because they, they have like a bridezilla in the other corner that they're trying to keep happy and they're trying to make everything perfect for the wedding. And now as a manager trying to, puzzle these different pieces together it's like i'm feeling all of the things exactly equally where i feel like all parts need to work and everyone needs to be respected and i just feel it very i don't know there was something in that moment when the lady says some one of your staff members just shushed me super rudely for in in my mind i was like oh that doesn't sound good it sounds like an event staff person kind of went a was a little bit rude to a dining room guest here and we struggled a little bit to keep these concepts perfectly balanced here and i remember feeling like i don't know that i'm going to be siding with my employee perfectly here and so i was telling the guest i was like apologizing to guest and being like i'm i'm so sorry that that's not right and and then I checked in with that employee or like I kept walking around and being like, someone shush that person and do not shush people like that. And then I had a couple of people I thought it might have been. So I like said it in with an earshot in front of them being like, just so you know, don't shush people too rudely. Okay. And then it wasn't them. It was someone who it was Stephanie. It was Stephanie. And then there was this other whole other chapter where the old lady who was angry. Like, this is my imp this is my impression of the thing. There was four or five ladies. One of them was like a mom. She was like 55 or 60 or something. And she was mad. And she's yelling at me like, someone just shushed me. And then all of her daughters are like, mom, stop it. Stop it. Mom, it's okay. Just mom, just relax. Like, fine, fine, fine. We're just going to go to the table. It's fine. And the daughters were like embarrassed that the mom was so mad. Like that was my whole thing. And then I was apologizing to the mom and the daughters were like, we're complete. They kept stepping in between because they knew that their mom hadn't seen the Karen memes. <laughs> so the mom wasn't doing preamble. The mom was just doing straight Karen, you know, Karen 1.0. 
the mom wasn't doing this Karen 2.0 thing where you do like hella preamble, where you start off being like, okay, so I know that we've all seen the memes on the internet where there's like a Karen. I'm like, totally not a Karen, but, and then they proceed to say something super Karen-y. But so the mom is a Karen 1.0 and the daughters are super embarrassed about the mom. So I, that's my impression of the group. And then apparently an hour and a half later, Stephanie, who shushed the mom, gets tackled by one of the daughters. The daughter just walked up, walked past Stephanie and just just sh- shoulder checked her. So she almost fell over, just like rudely. And Stephanie was like, I'm like, I want to press charges. I'm being physically assaulted over here. Now, Stephanie's not going to press charges, but it was like so confusing because I was like, are you seeing the 60-year-old mom did that? And she's like, no, the daughter. So somehow the mom got in the head of one of the daughters and convinced her that the mom was right. And then they fucking tackled Stephanie for saying politely because Stephanie retold the whole thing to me of how what she said. She was like, we have a private event. There's a ceremony. You know, there's a wedding ceremony. We just have to be quiet for a little bit here while they're getting married. Like, you can say that, you know? And people have a lot of respect for, like, the 20-minute period when someone is getting married. That's a very nice 20 minutes, people think. So, yeah, that was one of, like, 100 conflicts. God, there was so many people in the building that day, and it was so, so many attitudes. It was just so hard. And this lady was, like, scoff. She scoffed. And I had to talk to her for, like, 30 minutes about it. And then, oh, God. And then, like, two hours later, I walk around and walk through the downstairs cocktail lounge, and I just hear Doug, the other manager, I just hear, overhear her say, she, I just overhear how she's, like, deep, deep into her 20-minute rant of complaining. I just hear how she's, like, on minute 17. Like, I hear where she is in the story, and I can tell that she's on minute 17 complaining to Doug. And he's just sitting there just nodding along, being like, oh, yeah, terrible. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. I can't believe he did that. And she just did the whole thing with me. She spent 30 minutes of her best friend's wedding complaining to one of the managers. And then she decides to spend another 30 minutes complaining in exactly the same way to another manager and in my head i can just i'm just like your best friend is getting married is this how you decide to because he wouldn't go to the back to get hot water to mix the agave and that's not how you make like that's not going to be a good margarita that's way too much water in your margarita like that's going to be terrible like he's doing you a favor here but also like you're spending hours, I don't know, man. People don't know what's good for them, and, and, and I'm the same, and we're all that like that, you know? It's like my uncle who who just watches Fox News 13 hours a day, and it's just like he just chooses to be in this headspace of just fear and negativity and hatred and just like the border crisis and all of it. And he told me, he told me how he is – like we talked about it and he, we talked about how he is aware of it and he's aware of it and he promised himself when Biden was elected. He was like, I'm going to stop watching the news because my team is losing and it's just so 
negative and uncomfortable to just sit with the feeling of how your team is losing. And he promised himself not to do it, and he can't stop. And now we are halfway through a four-year presidential term, and I don't know. He watches just as much Fox News as ever. And it's really like, yeah, I don't know. I really think that a model of addiction, like addiction, addiction isn't really even precise enough of a word, but this thing of how I think of my own addiction and how my own addiction is about how I have certain bad feelings in my heart and what addiction is for me is that it is my, it is my like lifelong journey of running away from my own emotions like drinking and never drinking enough and never having enough alcohol in me and always needing more alcohol in me, and always needing more weed in me and playing video games incessantly and doing all these different things that are like a rush of emotion just so that I won't feel my feelings. Like that model of how addiction is the process of running away from my emotions, that is like my only way to – like I – when I see my uncle watching Fox News, what I see is that. It's like someone who can't just be. Like they just they just can't sit with their emotions. The silence is, you know, silence is violence. Silence inside of your head, it's like violence on your soul. <clears throat> yeah, anyway, that is not how people say silence and violence. And I, I shouldn't have used that phrase because... Cause that's wrong, but um, and I like I can only imagine what what terrible trauma this angry lady at the bar is running away from. But it's like she she then refused to interact with the bartender because he had scoffed at her, so she kept um, coming up to me when she wanted to drink and, be, and giving me her card and being like, "Get me another one." And then I had to go to the bartender and ask for it because she couldn't interact with him directly. And then one of the times I come back and I have this drink made and I'm giving her a card back, this is weird drunk fella who's like super tall and he's wearing like an an orange checkered short sleeve, not tucked in shirt. And he's at a wedding. Like that is a terrible look for a wedding. Like just too much gel in his hair. So he looks like Guy, Guy Fieri, but not blonde. And like a checkered short sleeve shirt that looks like he got it at a hardware store, you know? And he's wearing like khakis and you're at a wedding. Like this is how you decided to dress up for a wedding. Okay, never mind. So this fella, he just like, he just like looks at me and he's like, give me that. And I have a margarita in my hand and I'm like, uh, oh, I almost said her name. You know, let's uh, give her the name, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, Baccaroni. You know, Mac macaroni. Like, so I'm like, oh, this is for, this is for macaroni. And he's like, yeah. And he just takes the drink out of my hand and drinks it. And I'm like, oh God, it was so hard for me to find time to make, to get this drink made. And he just fucking took it out of my hand. And I'm like, bro, that drink was for macaroni. And he's like, yeah, it's for me. And I'm like, bro, that drink was for macaroni. And it's like, the vibe is like middle school bullying. That, that was the vibe the whole night bullying and like i'm like oh god so i'd look at the card and the card that she gave me actually doesn't have a her name on it it has a dude's name so i'm like are you the dude and she's like yeah macaroni's my girl 
you know, macaroni necklace. I call her macaroni necklace. You know, dinosaur macaroni, Din- dinosaur pasta. You know, pussy looks like dinosaur pasta. Bucatini racer clams. And I'm like, bro, are you making, like, is this real? Are you this, like, this this Neanderthal man? Are you the ma- Are you the boyfriend of this woman? And I just have to throw my hands up because she's not around, so I can't find her. So I'm like, okay, I guess you're drinking this drink. And if she comes at me all mad, I'm going to have to be like, look, that guy said he was your boyfriend. And we're going to have to take it from there. And then I realized it was true. That horrible, horrible man is her boyfriend. And then they kept doing things like, like everyone's downstairs at the cocktail lounge and my bartender's real busy and I'm trying to help him and I'm trying to get him clean glassware and I'm trying to run his glassware to the dishwasher and I'm trying to get him fresh stuff and fresh juice and all the mixers and trying to get him a f- bottle of liquor like he's out of this liquor. I'm going to go get it and I'm bar backing for him. I'm going to help him out. And then I show up with two trays full of glassware. And I, I'm trying to walk into the bar through the door so I get into the bar so I can give it to the bartender so he can help more guests. And these like guys with the fucking short sleeve checkered shirts, these hardware store fucking guys, they just stand there just blocking the door, just complete silence, just looking at me. And they're all like fucking built like refrigerators, you know, built like American refrigerators, you know, four feet across. And I'm standing, I'm standing there with two trays of glassware. I'm trying to get into the bar and I'm like, excuse me, excuse me. And then they don't move. And I'm like, oh, you don't move? And they go, yeah, we don't move. And it's like bullying. It was like middle school bullying. And we're grownups. <laughs> we're grownups. So it doesn't, like, if this happened to me in middle school, which it kind of, like, I got this feeling from people like this in middle school many times, right? In seventh grade and ninth grade and fourth grade and all these different times in my life when I was young and more fragile. And then now I'm a grown up and I'm looking at him like, like, wow, like, wow, you are, I don't know. It wasn't that hard to not let it get to you because they clearly are like, you know, people that they're clearly like disgruntled whites, you know? Like, no one is more clearly has I voted for Trump energy than these guys. You know, really sort of like angry, mean-spirited, just like vitriol, just like animosity, just like angry with the world, silent, drunk, 38-year-old, built like a fridge, kind of overweight, poorly dressed whites. You know, oh my God! So I'm I'm out here with two traces of glassware. You know, I got Collins and I got big rocks, and I'm trying to get in. And you know, I mean, good thing I'm bulletproof because I just fucking like have to lift these trays up to the ceilings so, and then just squeeze right between these two guys built like refrigerators and squeeze through. And they think it's so like they don't laugh because they don't like they don't even have enough maturity and emotional like spiritual development to even enjoy bullying like they are bullying me but they don't even enjoy it all of it is like suffering like all of it is an expression of their suffering 
but also like they are suffering as they are doing it. Like it's not even this thing where they gleefully snicker while they do it. They just stand there in a sort of like Zen-like anger. It, it where you just like you're like are you're unmoving like you're unflinching. The face, their faces did not move as I am like hilariously squeezing between them so I can get into the bar so I can give my bartender more gla- clean glassware. It's like they just stand there all angry. And then I walk up and down and they just get drunker and drunker. And then like I can hear and, – and then all the good people left and it was just the horrible people still there. And then like when I walk in and check on my bartender, I, I can hear them say things about me. But they don't talk in sentences. They just say like this guy. They just look at me and they're just like this guy. But you can tell that they're probably like blacked out drunk. But they're just like mean drunks. Like you can tell from how these aren't full sentences or full observations. They're just like, it's just sort of the reptile brain talking or whatever. You can tell that they're probably not going to remember this tomorrow. But these are like the worst people. And it was a very, very hard day of just absorbing negativity and listening to conflict and trying to resolve conflict and trying to work on it and just... So much negativity. And the interesting thing kind of is that Doug has such a good way of handling it. And Doug, not only is he really good at handling it for himself, where it just doesn't get to him. He also knows how to put out a vibe so that it doesn't get to me either. So like even night of, it didn't get to me that bad. And I went to sleep. And then the next day, I show up to work and he's like, bro, if you want to show up a little bit later, it's fine. And I showed up a little bit late to work and I slept in a little bit. And then we just sat and talked about it. And we were venting. We were both just venting about crazy things we'd had to deal with. And then at at one point I'm venting and I'm like, no, it's fine. Like, I don't actually need to, like, this is not actually, this is mostly kind of funny. Like, this is not getting to me. Like, we can talk about something productive because there's lots of lessons to be learned. A lot of it was like, there are no lessons to be learned. Some people are just bad people. And that's fine because it's so rare that you come upon, that you cross paths with such a large globular cluster of bad people. Like, this was like seven or eight really, really bad men with really, really like girlfriends that i don't know they have never known anything else these like unhappy isn't the right word these people you can't describe them as sad or unhappy they are just like they are just like negativity it's like the cell walls each cell of their entire body the walls of the cells are made of negativity and then the content of the cell is just more it's just factories you know like it's just human being but and they don't even know like they they are just so they're just one thing they're just one thing and they have no other level and they have no other gear and they are just these people that are like that it's interesting because you do in aa meetings you do sometimes listen to someone and they'll talk about how like yeah i got sober when i was 50 and 
And looking back on it for the first 50 years of my life, I was just a miserable son of a bitch. And I just took it out on everyone I met. And I, I, it was all just pain, but I didn't know it because it was such a like deeply entrenched habit. It was all just such habitual. I just habitually tortured everyone that I talked to because I just, but now looking back on it for, with a, you know, I have seven years of sobriety right now and I've worked through it and I've done the 12 steps two times and I'm 57 and I have seven years of sobriety. I can look at my first 50 years and I can realize that it was all just pain, you know? It was all just me being ashamed of, you know, my uncle didn't compliment my fucking soccer shoes or some shit, you know? Some original trauma or whatever. But it's interesting because, yeah, I deal with people before they get sober. Oh, there's a lot of people in my life that are still, that are still, that aren't sober, that need to get sober. Maybe most of them. Maybe most of the people in my life need to get sober. <clears throat> but it was fine. Most people are nice. And we had a wedding and, and that one, I didn't love those people, but 99% of the people with the wedding, we, they're incredibly nice. And, and, um, uh, yeah, the bride was still really nice, you know. The bride and the groom, they were wonderful. And then it was just some members of that wedding party that were, they weren't that great. And that's okay. Let's drink a water. So we're doing tropical today. Three different tropical sparkling waters. This one I have to be careful with. It's caffeinated as fuck. And right now it's 12.30 a.m. Antioxidant brew. So the brand is Steez, S-T-E-A-Z, antioxidant brew, or organic yerba mate, peach please. Isn't that so funny? A pun? Ha 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 ha. Why, what is it about sparkling water and puns? Like other beverages, like there's no soda with a pun on there. Why is it sparkling water? All these sparkling waters have puns. I don't know why. It's something like you think... Oh God, this is, this answer is making me hate myself. It's like, do people who drink sparkling water think that they think they're smart or something and, and puns are for smart people? Ugh, this is stupid. That smells like peaches. Oh, alert, alert, false alarm. That's not carbonated. Dude, how is this a yerba mate and it's not carbonated? Oh my God. Oh my God. Red alert, red alert. That wasn't carbonated. Okay, so I frequently on the podcast, I talk about how since I started meditating, I I will like notice thoughts that come up in my brain and I will realize that this is a thought that's been coming up in my brain every week for my entire life and I've never noticed it. I've just been thinking this thought, never noticing that I'm thinking this thought and usually it's shit like shapes of buildings where like I'm... I'm still thinking about the shape of the building that I, where I went to first to sixth grade, probably because it was just years and years of my life being in the same building. But so here's the thing. You know what I've realized in the last week? A thought that comes up in my brain all the time when I'm stressed, I don't know why it's related to stress, but thoughts and images that come up in my brain, there's a thought and an image that comes up in my brain and it's When I was a kid, I would watch a lot of TV, 
I think really, okay, okay, now as I'm saying it, I'm realizing it's, I think as a kid, I was always sleep deprived because I just had this like late onset sleepy, sleepy brain thing where, where like my brain for some reason, it's just offset. Like it should be that I, I mean, it's probably because I'm on screens too much, but I also really just think that I have a naturally a thing where like, even if I'm not on screens, I'll just be up forever. And so I was always so tired. And I remember dragging my body to school and then dragging my body home. And when I got home, I remember just always being so like dead tired that I, my flesh, my whole body just felt like flesh, like heavy flesh that I couldn't move. And I would just like, get to the living room and I would collapse on the couch and I would just lay there face down. And sometimes I was too tired to even grab the remote. And then it would just like, in the evening, I would just get this like sense of energy and then I would still stay up really late. And then I would get a not enough sleep and then I would go back to school and it would just always get worse and worse for years and years. And I would always just collapse on the couch. And so I would watch TV after school. And I remember always being starving but being too tired to make food. Like that's 33% of all the time spent in my youth. We youth was like me being starving, but not having energy. So most of the time though, I would grab the remote as I'm collapsing onto the couch and I would turn the TV on and I would watch TV and there would like be nothing on in the afternoon. And it would be like a home shopping network thing. And for some reason in Sweden, it just wasn't very savvy. And we didn't have very much of it. And it wasn't like, it wasn't an actual shopping channel. It was just like, we only had four or five channels. And one of them just did shopping stuff in the afternoon. And it was always the same, like four or five products. It's like something which is inflatable, which shouldn't be inflatable. And then something which is like a kitchen gadget, which is like a mandolin with a lot of things that you can, just some sort of slicer thing that you don't need with a bunch of things. You can, bunch of plastic parts you can put on it. And eventually, because they never change them, eventually after like years and years, anyone will eventually relent and just be like, maybe that is a good idea. And anyone after years and years of seeing the same advertisement, will have a moment of weakness. So somehow, all of these things ended up in your home on a long enough timeline. So you eventually, you just have this fucking weird mandolin slicer in your kitchen with all the things, and it never gets used because it's a useless piece of crap. But the thing that I remember seeing that never ended up in my home, that I remember I watched this just like every afternoon for years. I watched this like 10-minute sales segment for this product. And it's a product where you you take jewelry, old jewelry that's now discolored by oxidation or age or sunlight or whatever. I don't know how jewelry works. You take your jewelry and you put it in liquid, in water, and you add this solution that they're selling. And then your jewelry comes out shining silver shining and that's the product and they just do more jewelry and more jewelry and i'm just sitting here like cannot move my whole body is like i feel bad like everything feels bad i hate my life here's what i'm realizing though as i'm saying this out loud there were tons of products you end up buying all of them 
after on a long enough timeline you you buy all of them and when you've bought it the magic is the spell is broken the magic is gone like once you've bought this fucking vacuum attachment that's bullshit that looks like it's going to fix your whole life you know once you've bought this inflatable thing that shouldn't be inflatable you'll walk in the room and you'll look at it for one second and your brain will just say well that shit didn't fucking work in reality i have it in my house that was bullshit and then your mouth says that too your mouth says that didn't work and then you are you flip the channel immediately the spell is broken and the thing is that the one product of all those stupid home network shopping whatever it's called products the one thing we didn't buy was like the stupid powder you pour in water and then put your jewelry in the water and your water your jewelry comes out shiny it was like the one product we didn't buy and therefore it was the one thing that i just kept watching for all those years and i was i came home from school and i was laying there face down and i fucking just squeeze my head over to the side just a tiny bit so i can fucking look up from the deep pile of the shag carpet cuz i'm face down on the floor now all of a sudden in this metaphor i'm 13 and i am tired like more than anything the problem was just that i was too tired really is that my original problem that i was I became convinced that life is mostly all terrible because I was never allowed to sleep enough. And if I just had enough sleep, because now, and I can tell you from just the last seven days, last seven days I've had some of the worst days in my life because I was operating on four hours of sleep day after day after day after day and it just got really, really, really bad after a while. And then I went to Safeway I went to the fucking aisle that says cold and allergy and I got a NyQuil and at midnight or 2 a.m. or some shit, I had a full cup of NyQuil and I slept until 1.30 p.m. I slept 11 hours and when I woke up, it felt like the universe wasn't that bad of a place. That's what it felt like. The universe is not like I could tell how it's not all suffering. And so I lived that day. This is yesterday. I lived that day and it's fine. And then I slept seven and a half hours last night, which isn't completely enough. But really there's a big like how I feel is a equation that is about the last two nights of sleep. This is the pattern that's completely true. Like people have different weird things that they say about sleep. Like you can't catch up on sleep. And I don't know what that means. Like if you sleep a lot, you feel rested. If you don't sleep a lot, you don't feel rested. I don't know what it means. Like people, do people have some idea that you cannot sleep for five days and then sleep and then, and then what? You weren't tired. Like does that time travel then backwards to sleep time travels backwards? So you weren't tired for five days there? Like you think sleep is time travel? Like no, if you sleep a lot, you're going to feel rested. And if you don't sleep a lot, you're not going to feel rested. I don't understand the other concepts. But mostly – but the but the pattern I've noticed is that it's not just about the sleep of the most recent night. It's actually the sleep of the two most recent nights. So really what's good is like two in a row really good sleep is amazing. But I had 11 hours and then I had seven and a half and that's all good. So today was not half bad, you know. And I really think that like when I was in 
seventh, eight, seventh grade and eighth grade and ninth grade, and I was so tired that I just hated life. I think it was mostly because I was sleep deprived and then I couldn't move and then I did horrible things like I just watched Shopping Network whatever for hours and I just watched the same 10 minute segment over and over and over about some powder you pour in water and then you put your jewelry in there and then your jewelry comes out all shiny and it's like you know it's like kind of an old like it's I'm not the first person to say this, or I'm not the first person to clearly think this. There's something so sad about, like, the shopping network thing. Like, the whole TV show, uh, I Love That For You, which is about a lady who has cancer and survives, and then she's real quirky, and it comes out that her dream is to be the sales lady on the fucking specific channel. Like, in America, we don't have this in Sweden, but in America, they have entire channels dedicated to just selling stuff where like a seller has a 10 minute segment talking about a fucking clothes a hanger you know and how this hanger is shaped different and better and there's something clever going on with it and it's like who i don't know it's hard to I mean, this culture, America judges itself very harshly, and America clearly is very self-critical. But as a foreigner, it's just hard to understand some of this. It's just hard to understand, like, how does anyone, why would anyone tune to a channel? Like, if you have other channels, why would you watch that channel? But 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 the TV show, I love that for you, is almost like, it's almost like has a little bit of heart and it's a little bit of a love letter to people who watch that stuff because it's like about a real person. She she does have a few – they make fun of her and it's a comedy and everyone's ridiculous, but they also give her quite a bit of heart. And she's a person who watched a lot of Home Shopping Network TV when she was feeling sad because on there everyone's happy. Now I tell you that – I don't know. I watched it. I watched it like a motherfucker. I watched the same 10-minute segment about jewelry. And hey, I was in seventh grade. I wore baggy jeans and listened to Eminem. I didn't have any jewelry, you know? Like, I had no money at all. It's like such a grandma thing, having a bunch of jewelry. It was about, it's like, have you had jewelry in a, in a, in a box, in a drawer for 25 years, and now your jewelry is all gray. And I'm looking at it like, hey, dude, I'm 16. Hey, guy, I'm about to turn 15. No, I haven't had jewelry in a box for 25 years. And um, yeah, I watched it. And, and the point of what I'm saying is that a lot of times when I feel bad and I feel stressed, I just, I see it. I see the shiny jewelry come out of the water. I don't know where I see it, but it's in my mind. Like those images come back to me. Like I feel shitty and I feel bad and I'm trying to like run a restaurant and there's a wedding. There's an 80 person wedding off to the side and I'm trying to make sure everything is the timing, everything, every, all the courses are correct and all the bartenders have everything they need and all the servers with all the people pissed at the servers and I'm talking to everyone and I'm making sure that the servers know that we're, we're out of fucking, you know, we're out of 
slushy, you know? We're out of slushy mix. And they're like, which component are we out of? And I'm like, we're out of the bitters. And they're like, but can we make it without the bitters? And I'm like, yeah. And then someone just looks at me and sits down and wants to complain and they yell at me. And and what I see in my mind is just like the weird thick water with the silvery, silvery, shiny jewelry coming out of the water. And it's like the jewelry looks brand new now. And he takes out another box of just, you know, a necklace. And it's gray and it's blackened and it's oxidized. And he puts it in the thing. And it's like fast forward, cut to cut to next, cut to 10 minutes from now. And, and they take out probably a different piece of jewelry. And I watch it and I'm like, I know that that's not the same piece of jewelry, but... But for some reason, I'm still watching it, you know? And when the lady is mad at me, when the lady tells me that Casey scoffed at her, all I see in my mind is that fucking jewelry coming out of the water, and I don't know why. But it's probably some wormhole thing in the brain of like, when life is suffering, all the moments, it's like threading. It's like suffering is like this needle. And the membrane of reality and human experience and consciousness is like this fabric. And and suffering, sometimes when, when suffering makes one, when the needle and the suffering makes one whole, it like threads all the way backwards to your beginning and it, it bunches up all the fabric of your entire life and it takes every single moment of suffering and skewers every single moment in one fucking shish kebab of crumpled up fabric and there's all this fabric off to the side of moments that weren't suffering but you don't know about those right now because it's like all the moments of suffering got fucking needled together yeah i don't know i don't know bro let's drink another water so i'm so thirsty and i couldn't drink that whole last one partly because it got disqualified because they forgot to carbonate it and partly because it's caffeinated so therefore i'm really hoping to drink this whole one the brand is poppy the flavor is ginger lime Lime is a tropical fruit. We're doing a tropical flight. Let's smell it. Ooh, that smells lemony AF. Oh, that's good. That is good because it's limey. Now, one day, maybe for episode 500, I want to really go into a sparkling water factory and ask them all the questions. I have so many questions. One of the questions is, why are there a bunch of ginger-flavored sparkling waters that take tastes like so fake, like artificial ginger? Like you fucking powdered up some chemical that you think is ginger-flavored, and all of your sparkling water just tastes like fucking artificial fake ginger. But at the same time, there is such a thing as ginger beer, which just tastes totally real. It just tastes zippy and fresh and gingery and amazing. Why can't you just take ginger beer and pour a bunch of lime in it and say, here's ginger lime sparkling water? Why is that so hard? Now, this is a 7 out of 10 still because they don't lean very hard on the ginger flavor. It's mostly lime. Also, this poppy thing is funny because it's a prebiotic and it's kind of thick like a yogurt. Disgusting, but also delicious. Oh, man. Okay, next thing to talk about here. Um, for multiple episodes in a row, I've been talking about how like there's some girl that I just have a passing. This is like we just pass each other in a hallway and I fall in love with her because of some mental illness thing in my brain where I think I need some 
thing, like I need to run away from my emotions by being swept up in something with some girl. And as I'm talking about it, I don't have a good sense of self-awareness. And it's like, I don't know. It wasn't until Maddie talked to me about it and was like really mean to me about it <laughs> that I, it's so funny because she wasn't mean at all. She was like, the tiniest, tiniest bit mean, and that was enough to hurt my feelings. But through the act of hurting my feelings, I did just, I don't know. I realized that it's true. And and I think, I think I need to just, no, no. I was going to say I was going to promise to do something different, but promises are useless. This is a program of action. I need to, I think I need to sit down and write down, I think I need to do a sort of fourth step about this where I just write about it. And I write about how I feel in those moments and how, and what is actually happening. Because it's really, they are moments of self-deception and I need to clarify to myself that like, when I'm in a public place and I see some girl and make up a big story in my head, I think everyone does this a lot in a cutesy way that's kind of like functional. But what I do is not very like, but what I do is very dysfunctional and like make up some story. It's really just me. It's an expression of me panicking and trying to com trying to divert attention away from my anxiety and feeling of sadness and it's like there's some like it's like a promised land it's like this i it's like this promised land idea that if i just like i sit in some dark corner of a room and i think back on everyone i've ever talked to and everyone i've ever like been friends with or had a romantic relationship with or and i look at all of them and i'm like yeah those people were all fucking shit but then i look across the room and i'm like this person in the opposite corner of this room that i've never that i've never talked to if i just walk up to her and hold her hand and we just walk off without talking i will be a different person i will become a different person and I will no longer have to feel the way I feel. And we will, we will slowly walk off and be already in the promised land. And it's like, what I want is to be a different person and to feel something else. And it's like, it's like my oldest self-deception of like pulling a geographic is obviously the exact same thing. I feel bad. And if I go somewhere else to a different country, I will leave my bad feeling in this country and go to a new country and not bring my bad feeling. And then I go to a new country and my bad feeling is right there. You know, wherever you are, there you go. Wherever go you, comma, are, are go. Wherever go you, wherever you go, there you are. And that's true for everything. And the solution is always just to slow it down and to like realize that I'm clenching my fist and to unclench my fist because this I like the the thing I realized that is my thing of how I've been able to stay sober for three and a half years is that whenever I would start spinning out and feel worse and worse and worse and wanted to drink more and more and more 
it's really a, a thing where I just have to realize that I am deciding to become more and more tense in this moment. And like, I can't, like there's an overheating, like I'm deciding to overheat right now. And I can just relax and the temperature will go down. And then there's this sad thing where the temperature doesn't go down to a comfortable level. It always stays a little bit hotter than I would like. And I'm always suffering a little bit. But when I start to suffer really, really bad, it's always because I am manufacturing that suffering. Because if I just sit here in peace, like right now in this moment, if I just sit here in peace, sip, sipping a ginger lime flavored prebiotic sparkling water, if I just sit here in peace, the truth is that I'm just a little bit uncomfortable and a little bit anxious and a little bit sad. I'm not super uncomfortable. I'm not super anxious and I'm not super sad. I'm just a little bit. Everything's just a little bit shitty, you know? And that's all I ever have. And it's fine. Everything's just a little bit shitty and that's okay. You know? And I think with women, it's so hard because I've had all these um, addictions and, and coping mechanisms where it's something, you know, you can categorize all different types of addictions in two major buckets. One is the things we can live without and one is the things we can't live without. So whenever, like when people have an addictive relationship with food, or love, or whatever, all the things we actually need, that's harder in a way than the things where people are have an addictive relationship with methamphetamine, or alcohol, or gambling. You can stop gambling, you know? But when you have an addictive relationship with sex, it's like, on some level, the goal is not for you to stop with sex. And... Um, and like, this is not new on some level. I've talked about this for a long time. I talked about this on episode 50 of the podcast of how like infatuation addiction is my new addiction. And, and it is harder. It's harder than alcohol because the goal isn't to, my goal is to meet someone and become infatuated with them and fall in love and then slowly over a multi-year period allow that infatuation to transform into a feeling of stable, mature love where it's not even really a feeling. I kind of believe that in the end, what we talk about as a love, like long-term love, is not really an active feeling. It's more like you get more to a thing where it's more like a contract and it's more like a peace, you know, it's more of a peace and a home and like a space of safety and security and trust where you're like two people who just choose to be safe together. And it's not because a feeling like feelings are so it, it's ridiculous to imagine that we would maintain the same feeling for decades. Like the feeling can come up like if you if you have that if you have a, a long term relationship and it it is good and it is a sense a place of safety and positivity, then at times over and over when you do good things together 
a, an active feeling of love and affection can come up. But it's not like, I don't think it's necessary or realistic for that feeling of affection and love to like actively be burning in your heart constantly for decades. And I think I know how to do it. And I, like, I think I know, like when I was married, I, I, I've had long-term relationships where I just felt like this is just good and we can just, it's not changing and it shouldn't change. And I just like it the way it is like this. And I want to keep being in this space and I want to keep building my life in this space, in this space of safety and, and peace and trust. And it was just a good feeling. And I think my brain has the capability to do that. But the problem is that I, that the on-ramp, the on-ramp to the long-term relationship is like thrilling. So I keep taking the on-ramp and while being on the on-ramp, I'm always like so thrilled that then when I get, when I'm on the highway, I'm always like, Jesus, that on-ramp experience was really fucking good. So I, I maybe I should take this exit and just get on the next on-ramp. So I just keep getting on and off the highway, you know, <laughs> which is like, yeah, that's a, it's a weird, that's a weird metaphor right there, but that's sort of what I feel like. I just feel like I'm, I'm driving across the country and I just keep getting off the highway for no fucking reason. Someone should pull me over and, and yeah. I don't know. And there are many parts to it. I, um, I remember being friends with someone who had like a porn addiction and it was me and, <clears throat> me and this other friend and then the friend with the porn addiction and the three of us would talk about it and and the guy with the porn addiction would have this really bad like it was really bad for him and the other two me and the other guy who didn't have a porn addiction we'd talk about it and it's so like there was so many facets to it and it was so like obliterative and he was so desensitized and he was so impossible for him to think clearly and his whole mindset about the world and women and everything and relationships was so destroyed and all regular feelings had been turned off and co-opted and it wasn't so much like it's it's easy to misunderstand it and think that the porn addiction was a thing where like you have a skewed perception of actual belief of how reality works as if it's like as if the problem is that you think that you're just going to be in an apartment and a woman is going to knock on the door and she's going to be dressed like a fireman and you're going to be like, hey, you want to fuck? And then you fuck like that's not the problem isn't that people who watch too much porn believe that it's like that. The problem is that all the wiring, all the emotional wiring in your brain gets shifted around that the green wire gets unplugged and plugged in where the red wire should be and the red one gets plugged in where the blue one should be and everything is like backwards. And you don't feel the right, you don't have the right emotional, like you don't have healthy emotional reactions to stuff anymore. And it's so insidious and confusing and unclear what it actually is, but it's like really a big problem. And then I've realized there was the three of us, one of us had a porn addiction, and and then I remember the other healthy guy. It's me and this other healthy guy talking to someone who has a debilitating porn addiction. And the other healthy guy, he looked at me and was like, you know, it is possible that we're not healthy either. And when he said it, when it came from him, I was like, oh, fuck. 
maybe, maybe you're right. Like, there's definitely a difference in veracity. Like, there's definitely a thing where this guy is more fucked up than us. But maybe we're also fucked up. And I don't know. Maybe the on-ramp and the porn and maybe there's something there where it's like, <sighs> maybe I need to just relax and do nothing. Maybe I need to just relax and do nothing for a long time. And that's good. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I should write a book about porn addiction. Maybe I should write one page about porn addiction, not a book. You know? Maybe I should write one page about porn addiction. Oh, I've been playing this video game, and it's set in space, and it's actually very, very poetic and nice, and and it's been making me want to write, actually, because I, it's sci-fi, and, and it's like, I, I do love the intersection of sci-fi and, and politics. Like, I really want to write something that's like, ultra-futuristic sci-fi Chinese communism stuff. Like, Chinese communism is... There's something so honest and beautiful there. And it works so well with sci-fi. So, yeah. Look out for my next novel about fucking porn addiction, Chinese communism in space. Chinese porn addiction in space. Yeah. I don't know. You know, it's interesting how there's so many things where I used to have this like extremely iconoclastic instinct as a 13 year old where I was like, all the institutions around me are stupid and all of the traditions around me are so stupid. And then my entire adult life has been this slow unlearning process of realizing that all of those traditions were all of the boring conservative shit that I hate actually it has a point and I think it's so funny how porn is shameful and like I've always been toying with the idea of like why is porn so shameful and maybe it shouldn't be so shameful and how could you make it less shameful and what should porn be and like what kind of porn is okay because most porn is clearly like not just not enjoyable, but it's kind of evil. So like what's porn that's not evil and how can we make that porn less shameful? And then now I'm realizing that it's like, wow, it should all be shameful because it's all bad. Because even completely ethically produced porn is still this thing that like will rewire all the things in your brain and, and ruin you. So with that, let's drink another sparkling water, a LaCroix. So this is Guava Sao Paulo. Have I not reviewed this on the podcast before? Sure haven't. I'm really struggling. I cut my fingernails right before pressing record, and it's really making it hard for me to crack these bad boys open. Wow. Now that's a candy-like fake guava smell. Guava. I love guava. What's Sao Paulo, though? I feel like this is a mix of two flavors, but there's only a guava on here. Oh, God. That's incredible. It's slightly metallic and slightly bad, but it's also very good. I almost wonder, have I had this can forever and it's gross? Because because I feel like if you um, keep a can for too long, some of these cans, I've had them in a hot room, you know? 
But that's an 8 out of 10. Let's just be nice and give that an 8 out of 10. Oh, God. At least I'm sober, you know? At least I'm not drinking alcohol. Oh, God. That super difficult wedding day that we had with all the different fights and stuff, there was also one thing where, like, I can say this because I there's no way, but it's like there's a guy that I have seen in AA meetings, like, he was at 90% of all the AA meetings I would go to in Grass Valley. I haven't been for a while. I work too much. I feel like my sobriety is okay. I should go. I should really do some online meetings. Um, but anyway, that's not what I was going to say. What I was going to say is there's a guy, I always saw him. He always had this like big ego. So he would always talk. Like there's 45 people in here. Like, can we take turns? Can it not just always be the same three guys sharing every single meeting? But this guy always talked and he was so like, there was so much ego and he was clearly like he would tell these incredibly rambunctious stories of, you know, beating the shit out of cops and headbutting cops and biting a cop's face and, and, and then, you know, biting a cheek off of biting the whole cheek off of a police officer and doing all these drugs and buying all these expensive things and blah, 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 owning all this stuff. And he was a hard guy to like in those rooms. And then he shows up at my bar on the most difficult day I have in there in the hotel. He shows up and he sits at the bar and he's just being evil. You can just see him being evil. And he sat there for about 10 hours. And it was so emotionally, it's so emotionally hard to the AA thing of the room is a safe space. And when you're sober, you're safe in the room and you see other people who are sober and you shake each other's hands. And then if you see each other outside of the rooms, maybe there's a knowing nod and maybe there isn't even a knowing nod. Maybe there's nothing because that's how safe you are. That's how safe your secret is with me. Your secret that you go to the meetings, you know? But when you see someone outside of the meeting rooms and they're drinking, all bets are off. Now you have someone who knows everything about you and they're wasted. They know all of your darkest secrets and you know all of their darkest secrets, but they don't give a fuck. And they are wasted and, and you just stand there like, is he going to scream all my worst stuff at me right now in front of all my coworkers as a joke? Like, is he going to destroy everything right now? And it's like, it's just this Damoclean sword. Is that how you say that word? Just this thing hanging over the situation. Just hanging over the situation. Horribly. <sighs> Terrible. That was a very difficult angle. That was a very difficult part of the day. Just, I felt so sensitive and so raw and so like vulnerable because he was in the building. But it was all fine in the end. Apparently, he said some things about me to other people about what a piece of shit I am and how he thought I was shitty at my job. And it's like, yeah, that's okay. I know. 
I know everything about you. It's okay. Anyway, I think we have to call the episode right there. There's more stuff to talk about, like... Oh, I'm getting like something that is another thing that almost can function as an addiction is like I watch these podcasts where people are fighting like long term deep. It's the it's the same as reality television. Like people watch reality television like the Kardashians or whatever. New Jersey Shore, New Jersey Shore. I almost said New Jersey Shore. People watch those shows because people fight on those shows. But that doesn't get me going because it's fake. That's like WWF fighting. And then compare that to like actually going to a bar and watching two people punch each other in the face. Like there are certain – like you can watch – there are episodes of podcasts where you can watch two people who do not get along talk for three hours – and you can feel the palpable tension for three hours. And I sit there watching it, and it's so it's enrapturing. Like it, it, like there's one, there's an episode. It's one of the newest episodes of of Lex Friedman's podcast where he interviews Kanye West. And Kanye West has said all these things about how the Jews control the media, and he's gone full Mel Gibson. And Lex Friedman is like this deeply thoughtful, sensitive, hyper-intelligent engineer guy who has like this spiritual angle of just like wanting to approach everything with love and he's Jewish. And he, Kanye West keeps being like, well, you know, the Jewish media and Lex Friedman has this like incredibly mature, calm way of being like, look, when you say the Jewish media, it really like makes you sound like you're Joseph Goebbels, like Hitler's propaganda minister, because it's like that's the history of that phrase. And he like explains it perfectly. And then Kanye is like, oh, so you want me to apologize? What? You want me to like suck your dick? And Kanye just and, – and then Kanye like gets actually mad and starts saying actually hurtful things. And then like Lex Friedman is so good at – taking it and not freaking out and then 10 minutes later in the podcast being like look when you said that when you screamed at me 10 minutes ago that you don't trust me like that really hurt my feelings and it's like so raw and human and honest and real and i'm watching the whole three hours and i'm like fuck dude that's insane i can't believe he said that and the whole time my own feeling of anxiety and stress and sadness is like blanketed by this like the terror of the tension of the conflict in the room between the two people on the podcast. And another example is how there's like a multi-year beef between the people on the on Tiger Belly is a podcast with Bobby Lee and Kalila who were dating forever. They were dating for 10 years. They recorded 350 episodes of their podcast. And then around episode 360, they announced that they had broken up, but that they were still going to do the podcast, right? So they are like these liberals. And Bobby Lee is a stand-up comedian. And there's this massive network of different stand-up comedian podcasts, right? Everyone knows – everyone has their own little favorite of the one – like there's like 50 of them. And they're all friends with each other. And each stand-up comedian has like three different podcasts with three other hosts. And it's like – so it's a big network where everyone's a little bit connected to each other. And so then there's this other guy. Like it's a big matrix 
of these people connected to each other. And on one end, everyone's really politically liberal. And then on a very opposing end, there's some really bro-y dudes who are like, it's almost like Joe Rogan is in one corner of the same matrix. And I don't think Joe Rogan really has like any rape allegations against him, but he's kind of a meathead. And then there are some dudes pretty close to Joe Rogan who have like some allegations and so there's this guy, Brendan Schaub. Brian Callen seems to be like a really bad guy, but there's Brendan Schaub who used to be an MMA fighter also. But like, um, so apparently when Bobby Lee and Kalila were dating in the beginning, Brendan Schaub, who was in a relationship, I think it doesn't really matter. He was hitting, he was like, he was trying to ask Kalila out, even though Kalila is dating his friend, Bobby Lee. You know what I mean? So that's like a shitty thing to do that he did. And then this Brandon Schaub character also did a bunch of other shitty things towards women. And then Kalila got her own podcast called Trash Tuesday where she and the two other female hosts. It's a three women podcast. And all three of them have had interactions with Brandon Schaub where he has done different like gross things. Like he – with one of them, they were all at the comedy store – and Brendan Schaub says to this one girl, like, hey, you want to you wanna walk me to my truck? And that for some somehow it's a long story. And the whole implication was that he was like going – he was asking her to suck his dick in his truck. You want to walk me over to my truck? I don't understand that story completely, but it's something like that. That's how she felt that it, what it meant. And they tell this story and Brendan Schaub is like so butthurt by this, by this allegation – that he started a mat like that that he started really harassing them secretly because he felt so threatened it's really interesting it and then he would call bobby lee more than kalila directly basically saying like hey bobby get your woman under control because she's like saying mean things about me on podcasts which is also such like a toxic bro thing that really reminds me of um French rapey dudes that I have dealt with that like were rapey towards my girlfriends and then they would like apologize to me instead of the woman because it's like women are not moral agents they're just like the objects in the game it's like a board it's like a checkered board with squares you know one million times one million squares and we all move around and the women are the pieces that we move around and the men play the game and it's like infinitely complicated but and sometimes you fuck up and then you have to apologize to the men and it like never enters like it's they can't conceptualize what it would mean to apologize to a woman but so um then there's this incredibly weird other angle where brendan schaub is like says that there's a subreddit where everyone's bullying him. And then the FBI, he's like, yeah, the FBI told me that it was from your, that it was the Tiger Belly IP address that's been bullying me for years and sending me death threats. And it's you guys doing it. And it's like, what do you mean the FBI told you that? Like none of his story makes any sense because he's like a former MMA fighter, you know? Like, that's his like brain capacity. So he can't really explain this computer stuff. But there's some issue with Reddit where he's like, I'm going to sue you and something. But so it's these people where like Bobby Lee and Brendan Schaub are like supposed to be friends. But Brendan Schaub has this like incredible 
massive beef with Kalila and she and he's saying how he's going to sue her and she's going to go to prison and there's six counts of like yeah it's the FBI is saying that child pornography from your IP address that someone on your IP address was doing child porn for six years and it's like these like really sort of like really serious like allegations that are that he's throwing around in ways that don't even make any sense where it just feels like character assassination or whatever and women people on the internet really hate her now it's really like it, it beef usually feels fake because it's like cool for Drake and Kanye to to have a beef and to and it like bolsters the popularity of both of them and it like makes headlines and it just gives them more attention and it's like nothing no one ever really crosses the line in a way where we're yeah it just it just gives more it's a, it's like the Trump thing of how no no new like all all attention is good attention so with some sort of Trump logic, it feels like a lot of these conflicts between celebrities are made up. But in this case, between Brendan Schaub and Kalila, it feels not made up at all because everyone hates both of these characters now. And I actually think Kalila is like a very honest, real nice person. And But people hate her for being like a psycho because she has like a – a lot of weird shit that happened to her in the Philippines when she grew up in the Philippines and blah, blah, blah. And she was like, yeah, she had all these pedophile uncles and lots of trauma and she acted out that trauma in weird ways. And, you know, it's just like fucked up shit, you know? But so people like truly, truly hate these, both of these people. And it's all, it's a little bit like both of their careers are ending and they can both feel how this conflict isn't going away and how the conflict is making both of them look terrible and how they want the conflict to go away, but they can't, They like it's simmering on all the forums and all the subreddits and everyone's talking about it. And then the point of all of this I'm saying is that there's like a thousand interesting videos of people being, of all of them being interviewed, talking shit about each other. And you can watch all of that and it feeds this feeling in me of how like human conflict is so like you can get drunk on watching human conflict. And it's so nice as a tool to run away from your own emotions, watching human conflict. But then like the crown jewel of this whole beef is that Brendan Schaub was a guest on Tiger Belly a month ago. And like they talk about everything. And there is so much, there's so much awkward silence and there's so much stuff where people are truly do not believe each other and they say things and they're like, just believe me when I say this. And then they don't, they're like, I'm sorry, I do not believe, like just true human conflict from people that have known each other for like years and years where they they clearly really are struggling with like a real conflict. And it's like that interview, Brendan Schaub on Tiger Belly, is one of the purest forms of just zoomed in, real, raw, like completely impossible to fake human conflict. And it is like, wow. If you could put that in a bottle, I'd drink it, bro. Yeah, so I'd been I've been doing I've been getting high on that too. 
I've been getting high on that stuff a lot. And then there's drama in the chess world, you know, Hans Niemann and fucking Magnus Carlsen, and I don't know what to believe. And and Lex Friedman is in all of these conflicts. Bobby Lee was on Lex Friedman, and all these, and Kanye was on Lex Friedman, and all the chess players, like, Lex Friedman had like eight different chess players on his podcast in the last few months, like every single one, it's incredible. He has really cornered the Joachim market, like everything I care about, like soon he's going to start drinking sparkling water, and then I'll just be superfluous, but anyway... Look, guys, I got. We got to call it. The episode's got to be over. But, but I love you guys, and and thank you, thank you for listening. And if you enjoy the podcast, maybe send it to your mom. You know, maybe tell your friend to listen to the podcast because it's the same eighty people listening to the podcast every week. And maybe if those eighty, maybe maybe if you send it to just one friend, we can make it one sixty. You know, not that I need that, but you know, I really just need you. I just need one person, honestly. Zero is not enough, but one is enough. I love you and thank you for listening.